Well, uh, I told a few people this, that um, I was going to be preaching the entire chapter 8 of Romans, and every reaction has been, really? You know, kind of like, that's crazy. And it kind of is in one sense, as I was thinking about um, what to preach today, I, I think I must have spent like a couple hours one day, like on Tuesday, knowing I needed to pick a text, just listening to whole spans of Scripture, trying to find the right text for the things that, you know, I thought were important right now that we're, we're all going through. And then I thought, well, Romans chapter 8 is awesome, but you've got to take it in whole in order to understand it. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about, in, and, you know, I tend to be very forthright when I preach, but uh, I think I was telling Leonard about this the other day, about how sometimes the way that we chop up uh, the text is sort of like taking a body, and um, at a woman's hand is, is beautiful, but if you sever it and it's laying on the f- ground, it's kind of gross, Right? And that's kind of graphic, but that's kind of what people do to the scriptures all the time. Something that's beautiful gets severed from the, the whole, where it's a beautiful whole, and then suddenly all you're doing is looking at one verse, and you're, you're, you're saying, oh, the Spirit intercedes for us, and it's like, hey, that's speaking in tongues, and you're like thinking, really? Like, it's almost like a severed hand or something like that. Because when you look at Romans chapter 8 in the entire thing, it is an amazing almost kind of like, hopefully, as I do this, I pray that God will give me the right words to speak that glorify him, because we're about to kind of like, we're about to start ascending, and, and we might end up losing like we might end up like getting out of breath spiritually as we kind of get to this summit of glory and considering how amazing God's love is for us in Christ. And so I, I hope that if you, have, if you have a spiritual heartbeat, that you are just like your heart starts to race as you consider what, what God has done in Christ for us. And so if you would stand for the reading of God's word, I will not make you endure the entire chapter. I'm going to read the first few verses. We're going to um, um, sit down and then continue the journey from there. Romans chapter 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who walk according to the spirit Set their minds on the things of the Spirit, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Um, Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Please be seated. Now, I can't possibly say everything in this first portion that could be said, right? I hope you guys are following that we don't have like four or five hours to do as much as you guys are like thinking, man, I wish we could do a five-hour sermon. Sorry, we just can't do it. So I apologize to those who were looking forward to a four or five-hour sermon. But um, one of the things that I think is important as we, if you actually had your Bible in front of you, and 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 put your 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 and look directly at Romans chapter eight at the very first um, word in there. The actual word in the Greek is no, because Greek order is very important. And the very the the thing that Paul wants to emphasize is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the order. Like, no condemnation need you to understand, beloved. This is what Paul's trying to get. This is almost like the important thing to understand. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, one of the things that I think is really hard for Christians to get into their bloodstream, and it's, very, it's evident in the way that people talk about the gospel all the time, is they really don't understand that the difference between Christians and non-Christians is not, it, it's not necessarily in the idea that we all kind of have like this idea and some people accept the idea or they don't, right? It's that, some, that, that those who are in Christ have been brought from a realm of death and destruction and sin into a realm of life and peace. And it's not by their own doing, it's the work of God that, that, that ushers people from where they're dead in sins and trespasses, unable to please God, and they're brought into a life, life the, the, the spirit of life, and, and they're, they're united to Christ, and they have all these benefits in him. And so many distortions come into that. I was just this past week talking to somebody where they were talking about the idea of cheap grace. And maybe you've heard that before. It's like, well, you know, you need to, like, if you don't want to do anything, then that's cheap grace. You're just, you're, you're taken from the gospel and you're not giving anything back. And the reason why people think about that is they think about grace as something that we think about in our minds. I need to kind of like, okay, I believe in Jesus and that's all I need. And then they're saying, and then somebody says, but you also need to do all these other things too. Instead of thinking fundamentally as saying, well, if I was dead in my sins and trespasses and I've been brought into Christ, now it makes sense. It's not a matter of whether or not it's cheap grace or whatever kind of grace it is. Grace is something that flows from Christ. And so the, the conversation is, isn't like, hey, and or you need to kind of balance things and try and be serious about, you know, works, or you need to be serious about, um, you know, or, or you don't want to be too serious about works because then you're you're trusting in yourself and not in Christ. 
You need to be fixing, you need to be th- asking the question, do I have life in Christ? Am, have I been united to him in Christ? And if so, is he able to provide the strength I need to do these kinds of things? Because in reality, one of the things we're going to be talking about today, in one sense, and I've been really wrestling with here, because sin and death are like a pair in Scripture. And death is not only the idea of the fact that we are unable to please God, but the consequences of that relate to our physical death and our entire physical condition. The fact that we're in corruption and our bodies are dead in sin, that they're actually corrupting. And I was even reflecting on the fact that one of the problems that we have in not understanding that is because we have so many technologies that make our life seem pretty decent, where most people, even at a fairly young age, lived a life full of pain and discomfort. And so they really knew that their bodies were wearing out, like that they weren't, they weren't, they were corruptible, right? And so the fact that people die is related to sin, not because of the sins they commit, but the fact that the whole physical creation is in this state of dying, so to speak. And we've been, and so sin and death are, 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 are kind of um, twin conditions, as it were. And, and when we are talked about being set free from sin, we sometimes lose track of the fact it's like, that's a pretty good deal, like its consequences, because it's so bad that it takes our life. But then when we become Christians, we sometimes think about becoming a Christian and being in Christ as all the things we have to give up, don't we? We think about all the things like the, the idea that you would say to somebody, see if this kind of resonates with you to think like Christ has set us free from sin and death to be able to obey God. And, and maybe the reaction is like, are you serious what you just said is he set us free to obey God? I thought the very aspect of like freedom was the ability to kind of do whatever I wanted, right? You guys following what I'm saying? Does it resonate with you from a cultural perspective? Like you don't think it's free that you can actually, if God has commanded something as a a loving father to you, that you're able to obey it and able to live in that. And it, 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 it it relates to eternal life, that that's somehow some sort of freedom. That's some sort of amazing thing that we have because sin and death as a unit are where we're turning from God, and especially if we're in this state of the flesh, as it were, the flesh represents our sinful condition that's tied up in the curse of creation. We're no longer slaves to that. And so it's, it's, th- this is what he's trying to say. This was your condition. You were dead in sins and trespasses. You were you were a slave to sin. Now you've been brought out of that condition, even as you have sinfulness remaining, even as you're fighting it, you're no longer in the consequences of that where you're going to um, receive the eternal judgment according to that. And you're able to walk in newness of life to begin to, to obey God because the ultimate aim is not going to be this corruptible body that remains, but an incorruptible body that's coming and that sort of thing. So what he's trying to say here is that we're, we're, we're no longer in the flesh, but we're in the spirit. And that's an important thing to remember because it's a positional thing. It's not, don't read this whole thing as saying, gosh, I need to be more so I can be in the spirit. I need to be in the spirit. I need to, what, what can I do to be in the spirit? 
Paul says, you are in the Spirit. And so if you're in the Spirit, don't act like you're in the flesh. You guys following what I'm saying? It's sort of like, if, if you will, if you, were, if you were, um, came out of a bad situation as a, as a kid and somehow suddenly you're adopted into a new family, you sometimes have to be reminded like, no, you don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have, you're, you're, in, a, you're in a loving family now. You, you don't have to, you're no longer under the judgment of this bad condition that you were in. And we, we have to unlearn things and we have to continually fight this idea that we're in the flesh. And the constant refrain from the, from the um, scriptures is, don't go back to what that, what that worthless life that you had. I know that it's, it's kind of like there's a part in us that says, I really like that. I really enjoy that part, the, the, the thing that I'm trying to feed. But the call is, no, that, just, that, that life that Christ has set you free from only leads to death. So then continuing in verse um, 12, it says, So then, brothers, we are, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, excuse me, <coughs> but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For, for all who were led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba. Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, um, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Can somebody get me a glass of water? That would be too hard. Um, now, you may have heard this, um, heard this idea of Abba, Father, before, or Abba, one of the things I think sometimes because we want to emphasize this close relationship is that we'll say that Abba means daddy. It kind of does, um, but it's not like, it's not merely a simple thing like, well, you know, a baby calls his father dada and we just need to kind of like, the whole point here is just to emphasize the fact that we're, um, you know, kind of acting like children all the time or, or that we're in this constant state where we kind of think of God as our daddy, so to speak. The, the thing that is important in this thing is that when, when it talks about this cry that comes out, every time this comes out, it's a cry of distress. It's, it's what Paul is trying to point out because when you see this come out, it is true that young children call their father Abba, but it's also true in that culture that older children, up to the, even to the point where their father, where they were both grown, is they'd call their father Abba. It wasn't, it wasn't just something that babies would call, but in this case, when, when Paul is talking about this, this is the kind of call that a child reaches out and says, Abba, like I need help. The, the context here is you are no longer in a spirit of bondage because what is the law and sin doing to you all the time and this distress and all these things and all the, the, the forces around you pressing you down saying, you, 
you don't you don't deserve things or or you messed up or or you 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 you're you're not worth it like maybe these maybe this Jesus everybody is talking about is for them but my you know like I'm tempted right now like all these things that they're talking about that are part of part of the way that Christians think I don't feel any of that I don't see any of that and it's sort of like a cry out like I'm in distress I'm in suffering I'm in whatever's going on the heart instinct of a Christian is to cry out father help me you don't God hasn't given you a spirit of bondage to say if you're in distress then think about the thing that you haven't done and do that. That's the spirit of bondage to say, what, what did I mess up? What law did I, what law did I break? Why is God punishing me? Why am I weighed down? What have I done wrong? That's not, that's what the spirit of bondage would tell you and tempt you to do. But the spirit of Christ is saying, cry out to God. Cry out. He has, he's given you Christ. If you are in Christ, you are God's son. You're God's daughter. You're God's child. We don't live in fear. We don't live in fear of the condemnation of the law. We don't live in fear of the condemnation. We don't, we don't um, bear under suffering just in order for us to, to have to endure it. And not cry out to God in suffering and in pain. You know, I was listening to somebody point out the other day that, like, if we had a chance to be watching Job suffer, and and you you've read the first two chapters, and Job is is saying, Job is saying, God, what what did I do wrong? Why am I suffering like this? And we know what's going on and we want to cry out, Job, you didn't do anything. God, God, is, God is pleased with your obedience. You're not, you're not doing anything wrong. Don't, don't believe like that, 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 what, what you're thinking because we're like in the gallery. It's like we're, we're this cloud of witnesses seeing what's happening in a Job. And what at some point Job finally says, I, I think that, I, I, I don't think that it's anything that I've done, and there's going to be somebody that's going to stand up for me. And so he ends, up, he ends up trusting God through that. And that's kind of what we need to do sometimes is just continue to endure and cry out to God, saying, I don't know. I don't know what to do. The Spirit of Christ, this same Spirit, just want, just want, to, want to make sure you understand that the same Spirit that helped Christ during all of his times of temptation because he was a man, he was a real man. This is the same spirit that has been given to you. There aren't two spirits or multiple spirits where you say, well, Jesus had like a triple A, the triple A Holy Spirit. I'm not, not mean to speak in um, irreverent or heretical ideas. There is one spirit. And so just make sure you understand that this same spirit that helped Christ endure temptation is the same spirit that you have that, that enables you to cry out to God in your time of need. Continuing on in verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us, revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing 
for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray. For we do not know what to pray, pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are are called called according to his purpose. For those, who have, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now you'd think that as a card-carrying Presbyterian, the thing that I would highlight is like start camping out on, well, some people say that this, this, and like, well, predestination is foreseen faith and all this other stuff. But this is what I'm talking about, a severed hand. And I'm like thinking, how can somebody in the middle of Paul's exhortation to Christians bearing under suffering start like, you know, this kind of really kind of awkward doctrinal discussion, or even to cast any doubt saying, well, really what we're saying is that this isn't for everybody, it's for some people. What we're trying to do here is the establishment of the confidence that we have. And he starts out by saying this thing, if you caught it, where he says, it's like saying, well, is Paul acquainted with grief when he says that, I, I, let me just go back and make sure I read it, because I don't want to summarize it improperly. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, there may have there's been times in my life where I'm like thinking, yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. But have you felt like we're under sort of unspeakable grief in some ways in this congregation right now? You can barely speak about the amount of suffering that's going on. And you're thinking, that's a pretty bold claim. And if it's true, I, somet- I was thinking as I was going through this, I easily speak about like glory, thinking I've got a hand on it, handle on it, 
And I've spoken about suffering thinking that I, that in the past maybe that I had an inkling of it. But if you can't even put into the words the amount of grief that one feels over a loss in a congregation, then it's got to be some pretty amazing glory that awaits, that is to be revealed to us if that so, somehow so diminishes what we're feeling that to be able to say, it's not even worth comparing to that glory. Do you feel the weight of how glorious that would be? To feel the weight of the suffering right now to say, I don't even know what to say sometimes. I don't even know how to describe it. And you're thinking, that's how heavy the suffering is, but then compared to the glory that's to be revealed to us, it's not even worth comparing to that? Do you understand how unspeakably glorious it is that what God is doing in Christ for us? That's pretty amazing. That's a pretty bold claim. And thankfully, we have a God who can carry that out. Thankfully, we have a God that can can do that because what he's not saying, and make sure I understand that, is to say, well, stop thinking about that because it's not even worth worthy to compare. Just think about the other stuff. No, he's actually saying, no, we are, we are groaning right now. Did you see how many times groaning comes into this? The creation's groaning. The creation's groaning like, thanks a lot, guys. Like, this is what the creation's kind of saying, if it could say it, because it can't really say those things. Like, you know, the creation is subject to a curse. And it's, in, it's under a curse not because it said, hey, I'm going to rebel against God. It was like minding its own business, being creation, doing what creation does, you know, rabbits doing their thing, lions, whatever, um, the dirt and everything else was doing its own thing, and then suddenly mankind decided to sin, and then it's subject to a curse, and it's like, great, thanks. Now I'm eaten, you know? Now all sorts of bad things happen. There's death all over the place. And it's groaning, and it's saying, it's waiting for what? It's waiting for the revelation of us, the sons of God. And then it says, we too groan. We're groaning. We see this thing. We're, we're enduring all these, these hardships that come with sin and with death and all the things that have brought into this. And then it says, it says, and the Spirit himself, the Spirit himself groans. So when we're done saying groaning all the things that we're capable of groaning because God knows, himself knows what we're going through, he's like, and in some, one commentator said, like, well, some people kind of try and avoid that the Spirit would lower himself, or it seems almost irreverent, that the Spirit himself is groaning with words that are hard to understand. Do you understand what I was trying to say is this, this idea that, like, somehow we're talking about some sort of secret prayer language doesn't make any sense! With all due respect to those who maybe come here and just land in the middle of a verse and go, and then say, I'm going to rip this thing out of this context. Because the whole point of this context is saying, we're like under all this stress and groaning, we're feeling all the, the weight of sin, suffering, whatever it is you're going through. Maybe it's, it's, uh, it's guilt or it's, uh, it's like people are weighing you down. You're just, whatever's going on in life, the Spirit himself groans 
when you're done saying everything you can, the Spirit's groaning for you. And it's not going to end there, just so you know. We're not done talking about, it's sort of like, are, are you getting the, the feeling like you, Paul could have ended like, no condemnation, you're like, yes, woo, no condemnation, you're done. And then, and then he's like, wait, there's more. And he just keeps, he keeps going and you're like, going, okay, I'm starting, to, I'm starting to like get a little lightheaded. I need to sit down for a while to kind of take in all the things that he's talking about. So take that in that the spirit himself is groaning for us. The spirit himself is on our side and, we're in, and he knows what we're going through. And he says, when you're done, when you're done groaning all the, way, all the ways that you can for uh, the things that are happening, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up where you left off. And then, so, so to, to keep going then, in verses 31 to 39, he says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding, in, interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or diseases or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, when Paul asks this question, what shall we say to these things? I think what he's dealing with here is like this entire vista that he's been painting about trying to make sure that, he, that everybody understands the amazing character of the gospel. Because I was commenting to somebody yesterday that when he says, for God works all things together for the good, um, I think most people think, yeah, well, that's God's job description. He just makes all things work together for the good, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, you can acknowledge. I don't know. I can't see anyway if you acknowledge. But most people would be like, well, if he doesn't, then he couldn't be a good God, right? Of course God works all things together for the good because that's what we deserve. I think that's what most people think. God works all things together for the good. Things are going bad. I'm going to cry out to God and he's just going to make it all better regardless of whether or not you're in, in Jesus or whatever. But the reality is when you start considering the, what, the, what the gospel is in response to, your, your, the question should be like, the, the real question of evil is that how can, how can a good God not punish everyone and judge everyone. And then when you start unpacking that, you're, you, you start to realize, 
woe is me, I'm undone. Who shall, who shall rescue me? And you turn to Christ and you realize, wow, this is, this is incredible grace, amazing grace. Not like, well, of course God would save me. Of course God would save a great person like me. That's not what the hymn says, by the way. I just kind of changed the words. The reality is that when we understand that God, that, that we were by nature objects of wrath, then the fact that God works together all things for our good is simply amazing. That's incredible. And that doesn't mean that everything that's going on is good. It means that it doesn't matter what happens, that everything is being worked because in this present corruptible life where everything's wearing down, where everything that, that things are, things, bad things are happening all around. God is working together even those things for your good. Because this corruptible life is fading away, but he's prepared an incorruptible body for us in a new heavens and a new earth. And we have a, we have a down payment. We have a foretaste of that in the fact that he's given us the spirit as a guarantee. And so we look, we look ahead and we say, this is just incredible, this is how much God loves us. And, the, and then the question is that he says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I was trying to think about, you know, I was actually, you know, like, I, I know it's kind of a really weird thing to say, but um, I'm glad I was bullied as a kid in one sense, or I've been through a lot of things that happened because I think sometimes in certain contexts, people don't really understand what it's like to need somebody on their side. And I'm, I don't really, I'm not, I'm not trying to encourage any parents to try and bring a bully into some kid's life in order to make sure they go through this. Um, I, I'm just saying, like, have you ever felt like, man, I wish, I wish there was somebody on my side? Because, man, it's really hard sometimes to go days and months and years where you're like, man, I wish I had somebody on my side. And then you're saying, wait a second, God's on my side? Man, that's awesome. More properly, we're on God's side because he's brought us from death to life. It's like, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's not a question of whether or not there is somebody against us, but the question is, you're like saying, okay, line up, let's see what you got. And the who, a lot of commentators are thinking, is Satan himself. Who can be against us? And let let me just make sure you understand, Satan would sift any of us like wheat. But man, when you're on God's side, you're like, Game over, man. Quoting Bill Paxton. Except game over for Satan, not for us. Game over. Who can be against us? It's amazing. God is for us. And look at this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all talking to Leonard about this the other day, and I was like thinking, we have to be really careful never to kind of bring God down to our level. But God has condescended to us to give us language that we can understand. And we understand what it's like that a parent 
would give up his own child to be killed. That's crazy. Because there's nothing more that a parent would do to prevent their child from suffering anything. And they would readily take their place for anything that happens to them. And this is why this whole thing that happened is so existentially hard for me. And I can't even imagine what parents are going through because that's the very thing. They're like, why couldn't it have been me instead of her, you know? But then you think, but God did that for his enemies. That's what he did. And then the logic of this is like, God did this. He sent his son, not unwillingly, but because he loved you. Every single one of you that can hear this, if you trust in him, this is how much he loved you that he sent his son while you were object, naturally objects of wrath, but you were, you were loved by him. And then the question is, if he did that, if he gave up his son for you, why wouldn't he give you everything? He already has. Do you understand? That's the God that's on your side. He's going to make sure it all comes to pass. Do you feel the, do you feel the gravity, the glory of that? The God of the universe has done every, will ensure everything. To save you. He has given his son. How will he not give us all things? The question is, is, is an obvious answer. Well, yeah, of course he's going to give us all things. That's incredible. And so he says, he's going to give us everything. How will he not also um, graciously give us all things? And then the question is, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Well, we know who will do that. And then the answer, the question that we're going to ask ourselves is like, well, what if he does? You know, there's this, uh, there's this story in the Pilgrim's Progress, I think I alluded to it earlier, where he says he saw, he saw a demon, as it were, whispering into a, a believer's ear. And he did it in such a way that these blasphemies came to the person's mind in such a way that he thought the blasphemies were coming from his own mind. If you think that Satan can't cause you to despair or use some sort of leverage to think about ways that are horrible or you think, well, maybe this is true for other people, but... That person was really good, and of course God's going to resurrect her, but what about me? I'm not sure. All these, th- these doubts that could, could, could come in, and then, but, but the word of God is saying, who shall bring any charge against you? What are you doing? Why are you even believing that? Believe what I'm saying in my word about you, beloved. Believe what I'm saying about you. Believe there is nobody left to condemn you. There is nobody left. Who's going to condemn you? Satan? The world? Your family? Whatever it is? Who cares? God doesn't. That's that's whose vote counts. Let the whole world line up. But God is the one who will do this. And then he 
he, he talks about all these things. The person who is at the right hand of God, Jesus himself, this is the one who died for you, is interceding for us. Remember I said earlier, the Spirit's groaning for us. The Son is interceding for us. It's like, man, what an incredible team we've got. What an amazing team. What an amazing thing it is to be in Christ Jesus. In spite of all this tribulation, in spite of all of this, because the, the end point is that these corruptible bodies with all this tribulation that we have to patiently endure, and patiently endure is really hard, okay? It's not like, let's, let's talk about be patient and turn it into some sort of child's jingle and we're going, yay, it's so easy to be patient. But man, being patient and enduring is really hard. Because even, even after we get out, and as, as amazing we're going to think about, things are just going to hit us. And it's going to seem like the, the clock is just moving slowly. Like, man, how long do I have to endure this? And the, the reality is, is that we keep having to come back into this reality and saying, no, the Spirit and the Son, everybody's on your side to help you patiently endure these things. Not because they're easy, but because they're incredibly hard. And, this, and because it's incredibly hard, we need, to, we need to sometimes go back and touch base with the amazing fact that we're more than conquerors. I thought this was actually kind of cool. I was looking up the Greek because I wanted to see what it was. I don't know if Nick's here. Nick, I don't see Nick. Is Nick here today? The, the, the um, FBI agent. But his name's Nick, and the word is actually Hooper Nikoman. I was like thinking, Nico, Nico is conqueror, but a Hooper Nico is like super Nick. And it's like, it's the super conqueror. We're, we're super conquerors. We're like superhero conquerors because we've got God on our side. And that's the reason we're singing that song again, by the way, in spite of the fact that one of my kids, who I will not name, but her name rhymes with Sophia, for some reason she doesn't like the Rend Collective, which I think is awesome. But we're going to sing that again today because the reality is that we're more than conquerors in Christ. And it's, it's not one of those things that we sing because it's, it's a catchy tune or because it causes us to kind of feel emotions or to, to kind of get into the moment and think about this, but it touches a reality of the fact that we are in Christ Jesus we have this God who has set us free from the bondage of sin and death. And, and, and he so emphasizes, he says, no condemnation, no condemnation. And as we, as we understand that death can, 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 can wound us, death can, can cause us grief, death can cause us all sorts of pain, but the sting has been taken out of the tail because the, the worst that that death could do to us in terms of eternally separating us and, and keeping us under the wrath of God has been taken away by Christ who tasted death for us, who tasted that condemnation for us so that we no longer have to do that so that all we have to look forward to after we finish this enduring suffering with God's help is that we will, we will experience an eternal weight of glory, not even worthy to compare to the suffering that we presently endure. Let us pray. 
Our Father, our God, we thank you for this, um, this text that reminds us in the midst of the weight of this present suffering, this unspeakable um, grief that we often feel and the weight that we have and, and the wondering if we can endure um, and, and how long will, will it be before we're able to taste things again or enjoy anything again, that we would be able to look beyond this present time of suffering and be reminded that we, we have an eternal weight of glory that is, that is ours by right of being in Christ Jesus. Not by right of being born, but because you have brought us from death to life. And so we claim a promise, not because we know we deserve it, but because you have promised it us, to us. And we thank you for that. And so we ask that you would just give us a, um, a sense that we're able to kind of look into the face of all these things that are, are weighing, weighing us down and say to them, no, there is nobody left to condemn us. There is nobody left to tell us to despair. There is nobody left because God himself has set us free from Christ Jesus. And there is no condemnation and nobody left to bring a charge against us. And so we now sing with with a defiant tone of victory in Christ Jesus. Amen.